Greetings, my fellow Dungeon Masters and loyal subjects. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim, your Dungeon Master, and I want to say thank you very much for listening to this. We're back today with a much overdue Creating Villains episode. I've been thinking about this one for a while. We're looking today at the Druid. In case you haven't listened to one of these before, the point of these is, if you're thinking about creating a villain for one of your own campaigns, you don't know where to start, this is just kind of my process of brainstorming ideas. And that process is by just sort of reading through the player's handbook at the various classes and the lore and backgrounds associated with them. The rationale being that if these classes can make good heroes, then why can't they make good villains too? Before we get going, though, I do want to thank Tim Obermiller, who recommended us on Facebook. Uh, thank you very much, Tim, for doing that. In his recommendation, he did describe the character names in the campaign as cringe-inducing, which I think is actually kind of a, a generous assessment. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Okay, druids. The way that we're presented with a druid is as a protector of nature. Uh, a being existing in harmony with nature. Uh, but if we're going to take inspiration from the lore and the abilities of the druid, we're going to focus on the dark side of nature if we're going to be able to end up with a worthwhile antagonist or villain for your player characters to take on. And the idea of somebody being in harmony with nature really has some positive connotations to it. But the philosopher Thomas Hobbes referred to humanity's state of nature as being one of continual fear of violent death, and that the life of man in a state of nature was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Of course, his state of nature that he was referring to was uh, more of something of an anarchic existence without government, but the comparison I still think is a valid one. Humanity at the mercy of nature. It can be a bountiful provider, it can be beautiful and inspire wonder, but nature can also inspire awe, the kind of awe that's associated with terror. It can be hostile, harsh, and often coldly indifferent in a way that people at its mercy interpret as being cruel. You could look at nature as being life feeding on life, life being devoured constantly to give rise to other life, which is also devoured, and so on and so on. The vast majority of all species that have ever existed on this planet are extinct, after all. Even the term circle of life, a saying often carrying hopeful, fatalistic connotations, could easily be called the circle of death. You can't really have one without the other. I did some cursory reading on real-life historical druids, and... Historically, druids in pre-medieval or Roman era, whichever term you want to use, uh, Europe, were largely understood to be religious figures in pagan Celtic societies. Therefore, they were polytheistic and were practitioners of ritualistic human sacrifices, sometimes confining people inside wooden effigies that would then be burned. These effigies came to be known as wickermen, but I, I honestly don't know when that term came about. A principle druidic tenet was that the human soul was immortal and would inevitably be reincarnated. So sacrificing someone to appease a deity probably seemed like less of a big deal in that context, since the sacrificed 
would just come back in another body somewhere down the line. Druids in these Celtic societies may have been able to read and write, but their custom was that they did not record anything of themselves in writing. According to Julius Caesar, it could take upwards of 20 years of studying before someone had the requisite knowledge to take their place as a druid. In many examples of folklore, druids were able to tell the future, they had other mystical abilities, and acted as advisors to lords and kings. Uh, I got this information off of good old Wikipedia and off of Britannica.com. In the context of D&D, I think a good example of a monster that shows the qualities, or at least the imagery, of an evil druid, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, would be hags, which are, in my opinion, overtly pagan in their depiction. In essence, a druid is like a priest of the forest, a cleric of the natural world. It would be fitting for at least one of the druidic villains we're going to talk about here to worship more than one of the gods of nature. And it is more fitting, in my opinion, for them to worship multiple gods. In the D&D multiverse, there's a wide range of gods, and the inhabitants of the multiverse generally understand that all of these gods are real. And in our own history, in polytheistic societies, it was, as far as I'm aware, very rare for people to worship only one god in their pantheon. They may have favored certain gods, but they recognize the power of all gods that they believe existed. So I think for at least one of the druids that we look at, I do kind of want to incorporate this, that they worship several gods. Now, the characteristics that make up a druid that were presented with in the player's handbooks are that they exist in harmony with nature, as I've already said. But harmony is kind of a very cheery word, and it makes me think of a, a commune that smells like patchouli. So let's use the word balance instead. Balance is much more of an equal opportunity life giver and life taker. Druids communicate with animals. They summon spirit animals to help them. And of course, the wild shape ability is really the hallmark of the druid class. And since we're trying to make a villainous type of druid, let's look at some aspects of nature that have more negative connotations. Things like diseases, parasites, poison, decay. Storms are also part of the natural world. Violent storms could also be part of a druid's domain. Speaking of which, the druid's circle of the moon can wild shape into elementals at 10th level. So the elements being part of nature, we can have a druid whose power revolves around earth, air, fire, and water. I do want to mention, though, that I also happen to find a druid circle of pestilence subclass uh, on Reddit. I gave it a quick read. It's actually pretty neat. Uh, and on dmdave.com, there's a druid circle of blight subclass. Uh, they're both pretty cool options for players, and I wanted to mention them anyways, even though we're going to be talking about making a big bad for your campaign. I had a few initial ideas that didn't really coalesce into a full-on complete character, but I wanted to, to mention these things anyways because I, I found them interesting. I thought it would be interesting for a druid to be able to kind of spontaneously wild shape as a reaction, or to wild shape certain parts of his or her body in combat as the need arises. So if they get pushed off of a cliff, they can spur out wings. If they get into combat, they can transform their hands into 
claws, they can give themselves bear strength, things like that. So an easy way to accomplish this, and would take very little time to prepare on your end, would be to take a look at the Unearthed Arcana Mystic class and an ability called Bestial Form. This ability has a number of options, climbing, flying, claws that I've already mentioned, pretty interesting stuff. And I also thought it would make sense that if the heroes have a druid among them and are fighting your enemy, who's also a druid, wouldn't it make sense for that druid, perhaps, if they are more powerful than the player character's druid, would be to have mastery over other animals? So that any opposing druid that uses the conjure animals spells, those animals could have disadvantage on all of their attacks against this evil druid. Or if you wanted to be really mean, uh, those conjured animals don't attack the druid at all, or the druid could even have a chance to turn them against their summoner. Anyways, just two minor ideas that I had. Again, didn't really coalesce for me into a complete character, but I wanted to mention them anyways. So I was able to sort of form up with two main ideas here as a result of picking out my favorite things from that list of negative nature connotations, which was decay and storms, or if you want to call it, the elements. So the first druid villain that we're going to look at is the elemental druid. I wanted to come up with something more unique than just allowing them to wild shape into elementals or summon elementals. That's not super creative. So I, I put some work into thinking what this druid's powers would actually be and what their motivations were. I wanted to start with, you know, why why is this druid evil? Where, where's the motivation coming from? I thought it might be possible for the druid to be not native to the material plane. Elementals, after all, come from the elemental chaos the plane of elemental chaos. So perhaps the druid is is from a different plane. After all, why can't other planes have druids of their own? And I got to thinking, the druid is on the material plane causing problems for these heroes. Why? And I started reading about the elemental chaos, because I really wasn't sure. Reading about the elemental chaos pointed to the princes of elemental evil, and it also pointed to other beings that are native to the plane of elemental chaos. Genies in particular. So I started reading about genies and their supreme arrogance. And reading about them in the Monster Manual made me want to incorporate their supreme arrogance as a character trait into this particular antagonist. So perhaps this druid is an offspring of genies or otherwise worships the four elemental princes and is so offended that there are so few worshippers of the evil elemental princes that this druid wants to make a display of power to win more followers. I'm going to read you something here from the Monster Manual about the genies. Genies acknowledge the gods as powerful entities but have no desire to court or worship them. They find the endless fawning and mewling of religious devotees tiresome except as it is directed towards them by their worshipful slaves. Their miraculous powers, the grandeur of their abodes, and the number of their slaves allow some genies to deceive themselves into believing they are as powerful as the gods. Some go so far as to demand that mortals of other realms, even whole continents or worlds, bow down before them. 
I realize I may be straying dangerously close to turning this druid just into a genie, but I think we can transpose this character trait of supreme arrogance into this inferiority complex that the druid has. They worship these gods, the the elemental princes, the perhaps the elder elemental entity as well, and they're enraged by the fact that there is so little worship and reverence towards them. And they go out into the world and they say, look at this elemental power. And their goal is to wreak such havoc that people can't help but cower and be afraid and be fearful in the wake of that destruction. Perhaps they're trying to pull off four insanely powerful and destructive rituals, like a ritual that creates a tsunami or an incendiary cloud or a hurricane or causes a volcano to erupt. I mean, you could choose from any number of options that are fitting with this theme of, of the elements. So let's talk about some abilities. I went through the player's handbook and the monster manual and, and cherry-picked a few things. Now, I've in the past have liked to take specific powers from the individual subclasses and sort of augment them, but I didn't really find anything too fitting for that purpose. So I've, I've borrowed a lot of things from different areas here. So first off, the elemental druid can move through an environment in a number of ways. It's good to have your enemy be mobile so that they can escape from a difficult situation if necessary. So this elemental druid can burrow through the earth, similar to the Tao's earth glide ability, or simply by flying. So the elemental druid has resistance to all damage dealt by hostile elementals. The druid can innately cast absorb elements as a reaction any number of times. And if you're not familiar with absorb elements, I will do a quick reading here. So absorb elements is a level one spell. It's a reaction. When you take acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage, so the spell captures some of the incoming energy, lessening its effect on you and storing it for your next melee attack. You have resistance to the triggering damage until the start of your next turn. And also, the first time you hit with a melee attack on your next turn, the target takes an extra d6 damage of the triggering type. And that scales with level, of course, so you can add extra damage onto it as is appropriate. The druid can innately use Thunderclap once per round as long as it's not using its wild shape at the end of its turn at a level that you deem appropriate. So a Thunderclap is a cantrip. You create a burst of sound which can be heard 100 feet away. Each creature other than you within 5 feet must make a constitution saving throw. On a failed save, the creature takes d6 thunder damage. And the spell's damage increases when you reach 5th level, 11th level, and 17th level. The idea behind that, of course, just this walking force of nature. And the druid could also use Warding Wind at will. It's a level 2 spell that does the following. A strong wind, 20 miles per hour or so, blows around you in a 10-foot radius and moves with you, remaining centered on you. The wind has the following effects. It deafens you and other creatures in its area. Well, we can hand wave away that deafening the druid part. It extinguishes unprotected flames in its area that are torch-sized or smaller. The area is difficult terrain for creatures other than you, 
Attack rolls for ranged weapons have disadvantage if they pass in or out of the wind, and it hedges out vapor, gas, and fog that can be dispersed by strong wind. So you could use either warding wind or thunderclap or both depending on the level of your party. And spells like fireball, lightning bolt, or call lightning are also appropriate to this elemental theme. Now, as I said before, I did want to still incorporate wild shape and the elements, but not just wild shaping into an elemental. So I, I really poured through the monster manual, uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters, Mordenkainen's Dome of Foes, trying to find something that sort of merged these two ideas, a druidic wild shape into an animal that sort of thematically represents one of the elements. And I think I had mixed success here. I had a few not bad ideas, but not, not a resounding success. So stay with me for a minute here. So we have wild shape into four elemental categories, earth, fire, air, and water. So for earth, the elemental druid can wild shape into a shambling mound. This is on page 270 of the monster manual. It's a CR5 monster. It's not an elemental, but I think that we can sell this as being an earth elemental that's more tree and less rock. The Shambling Mound has some slam attacks. It has an engulf ability, which affects grappled targets. And it also absorbs lightning. So I was thinking it would be a, it would be a neat strategy for the elemental druid to cast Call Lightning, which is a concentration spell that allows you to call lightning down each round. Okay, Call Lightning, and then Wild Shape into a Shambling Mound. So the druid on its turn can call down the lightning once it's in melee combat with your players, and the lightning can affect both it and nearby player characters who are in melee combat with it. But the lightning damage actually not only doesn't affect the Shambling Mound, but it actually heals the Shambling Mound. Technically, Call Lightning forces you, if you were casting it, to use your action to call down the lightning. But we can say, you know what, that's the Elemental Druid's bonus action, and it will take its main action to do its slam attacks. Anyways, so that's Earth. So for Fire, I had a couple of ideas. Again, wasn't able to find anything that really strongly fit in with the theme of a fire elemental, except for, well, I had two. And these can be used, I think, two very different scenarios. So a hellhound is a fire-breathing hell dog. But a regular hellhound is pretty low challenge rating, so you're going to probably want to make a dire hellhound. So the elemental druid can wild shape into a dire hellhound, which can be pretty scary, but what we want to do is sort of turn up that factor of this being a creature of fire. So we're going to attach the effects of the spell Heat Metal. So anyone within 10 feet of the druid in its hellhound form is subject to the effects of the Heat Metal spell automatically. I mean, if you want, you can choose to... I was going to say choose to give a saving throw, but the regular heat metal spell doesn't have a saving throw. So no, no saving throws. 
The other option I did think of was the Phoenix. The Phoenix is a CR-16 monster in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. And I thought that this would be really appropriate if the Elemental Druid is reduced to zero hit points. It transforms into a Phoenix, which would be a pretty cool method of escape, I think. But depending on the level of your players in your campaign, Challenge rating 16 is pretty high, so you may want to make your own stats, substitute the stats of a, of a different flying creature in for it. Anyways, good escape plan for the Druid transforms into a Phoenix, and that will force your players to strategize next time they're in combat with this Druid. They say, we know when we take this Druid down to zero, he or she will transform, and we have to be prepared in some way to prevent that from happening, or to be able to contain this phoenix when it shows up. Now here's where I ran into a bit of trouble. There were not any animals or beasts or monsters that I could think of that encapsulated or fit in with the elements air or water. I'm going to read something here from page 142 out of the monster manual. This is from the from the jinn, which are genies of the air element under the heading Masters of Wind. Masters of the air, the djinn ride powerful whirlwinds that they can create and direct on a whim, and which can carry passengers. Creatures that stand against a genie are assaulted by wind and thunder, even as it spins away on that wind, if outmatched in combat. When it flies, its lower body transforms into a column of swirling air. So that may be a bit of a cop-out on my part, I know I said I didn't want to transform this thing into just an elemental. It's kind of going halfway. So you could use the effects of the spell Whirlwind, Wall of Air. You, you could do any number of things here. Uh, and for the water element, I was just straight out of luck. If you're doing a like high seas adventure, you know, whatever, transform it into a freaking dragon turtle. But outside of... Outside of an encounter that takes place on or near large body of water, I, I had to admit defeat on this one. Anyways, maybe maybe you can help me out with that. Uh, let me know what you would have used for the wild shape for this elemental druid for water or air. Or if your ideas for earth and fire were different, let me know those too. I, I'd be super eager to hear a, a better take on these than what I was able to come up with. Okay, so that is our Elemental Druid. Now we're going to go on to the next one. The Druid, I call it the Circle of Decay. So this Druid justifies his or her actions with the idea that life and death are cyclical and that the death they cause is impermanent. This also echoes the historical Druidic philosophy that I mentioned earlier, that death was merely a transitory state between life and reincarnation. Now, an enemy who thinks like this would be an especially scary opponent because they have no concerns for collateral damage. And if you want to give this villain some followers, whether they're acolytes, minions, whatever you want to call them, if they share this same philosophy, then they too would consider their lives maybe not necessarily expendable, but they would have no concern about dying or giving their lives for the cause since they would believe that they would be reborn later on. What this means is, if you're pitting these minions against your players, you could make sure that all of them fight to the death without exception. 
Now, what would this sort of enemy's motivations be? If this druid is indeed a cleric of the natural world, they could just be carrying out the whims of this nature god, whatever it happens to be. It could be a neutral nature god, or it could be an evil nature god, like the, uh, the devourer, part of the Dark Six. Now, a hero would see this motivation as evil, but to the druid, if they're serving a neutral god, it wouldn't necessarily be a mission that they're carrying out with malice or pleasure. It may just be something that they consider to be a duty to ensure the proper natural cycle. Now, as I've said before in other Creating Villains episodes, an enemy can be someone with goals that are simply in opposition to the goals of the heroes. That doesn't mean they're outright evil. Now, for an alternate motivation, you could have this druid viewing certain races as threats to the balance of the natural order. Perhaps they're an elf of some variety, and they view mankind's ability to rapidly expand and reproduce as a threat to the natural world and are looking to cull the human population. Or, on the flip side, perhaps a human druid views the very long lives of other races like elves as something which negatively impacts the natural order. Or perhaps this villain is not the central focus of an entire campaign, and just maybe one of several enemies that your heroes will encounter in their travels, so it could be as simple as this druid believes a nearby city is encroaching too much into sacred wilderness and is pushing back against this civilization. And as far as the whole balance approach goes, we've all seen what can happen when somebody is trying to perfectly balance everything. Looking at you, Thanos. Now, what would a druid of the Circle of Decay have for powers and abilities? In a lot of ways, with decay also comes disease. So this druid's powers will uh, have effects that touch on both decay and disease. So to start, the druid will be immune to poison damage and have resistance to necrotic damage. Now, the druid's powers would certainly have an impact Maybe not just the powers, but the druid's very presence would have an impact on the environment. And if you want to give this druid a lair, perhaps you don't, perhaps wherever the druid travels, the plant and animal life simply withers and dies. But this would give the player characters a fairly easy way to track this enemy. Everything, they just follow the trail of destruction. But once they get within a certain distance of the druid, their food rations become rotten and inedible. Furthermore, streams and rivers that they come across are contaminated, filled with various awful and rotting animal carcasses, and the water has a chance to poison anyone who drinks it, or perhaps they're just completely dried up. Now, this will potentially force the player characters to alter some of their spell selections so that they can overcome this sort of obstacle. Altering their spell selections like purify food and drink create or destroy water, good berry, things like that. So let's talk combat. What can we do to make this druid a tough opponent? In my mind, I always ima imagine, can this enemy go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a high-level barbarian? That's sort of my litmus test. While getting shot at. First, let's give this druid a useful reaction. Whenever an enemy is within 10 feet of the druid, it can summon magical grasping vines to restrain... One opponent. Now you can set the difficulty DC for escape to 
a level appropriate to the level of your party. This will come in handy if the druid gets charged by a dangerous melee fighter, like a barbarian. The vines have a chance to stop a charging hero in their tracks. And on subsequent rounds, as a reaction, when hit with a melee or ranged attack by an enemy other than the one restrained, obviously, the druid can move the restrained player character in the way of the attack. And then the restrained character takes that damage instead of the druid. Now there's a monster that does this, uh, probably a monster with tentacles, but honestly I could not remember which one it was. As far as basic attacks go, like pick your favorite weapon here. It could be some weird gnarled staff or something else. Um, I would lean towards something metal that is rusted. So I'm partial to a rusted sword, but you could use a rusted mace or a rusted sledgehammer, whatever you want. Uh, since it's more in keeping, this rust in keeping with the theme of decay. Plus, this rusted weapon is a signifier to the weapon's effect. If the druid hits with a melee attack, if that target receiving that attack is wearing metal armor, it suffers a degradation with the same effects as if it was touched by a rust monster. So, a cumulative minus one to AC, which will make every subsequent attack the druid makes more likely to hit. Now, barbarians in the party may not be overly concerned with that, but it will certainly make the fighters and paladins in the party think twice before going toe-to-toe -to -toe with this enemy. And there's really nothing stopping you from imposing that same penalty on metal weapons that hit the druid. In the theme of decay, whether it's decaying plant matter or decaying flesh, evokes a stench. So I'm going to borrow the stench ability from the troglodytes. So this druid has a, a radius of stench. And again, you could say 10 feet. The troglodyte stench ability is pretty forgiving because they are a low challenge rating monster. But we can make our own adjustments here based on, again, how dangerous your player characters are. So we could say that they have to roll a saving throw each turn. Even if they pass, they still have to roll it, otherwise they're poisoned. And a character who is poisoned, the poison condition says that they have disadvantage on attack rolls and on ability checks. So get them to roll a saving throw each turn. And again, if you want to be really dastardly, you could say that after a certain number of rounds, they become poisoned regardless. So after three, four rounds in combat, which again is, is probably too long for a big bad to be in combat with, with an entire party, depending on the level. After a certain number of, of rounds, they just become poisoned, automatic fail. So this will force the players to strategize and determine how long they can afford to stay in combat before it becomes too dangerous. Let's talk about some innate spell casting. This should be pretty straightforward. There's a number of spells on the druid spell list that already lend themselves to this theme of decay. Contagion, Blight, Insect Plague. You could, already, you could also borrow Stinking Cloud, which is not on the druid list, but it, it fits. Let's talk about summoning animal companions. Now, a regular druid can use the Conjure Animals spell to summon wolves or you know some other animal backup but we're going to go with a couple of other things a couple of other options here in volo's guide to monsters on page 208 we see swarms of rot grubs they're challenge rating half 
So you may want to adjust or summon an appropriate number of these little swarms. But the way that they work is this. Uh, if a creature in the swarm space is hit by an attack, the, that target is infested by 1d4 rot grubs. At the start of each of the target's turn, it takes d6 piercing damage per rot grub infesting it. Applying fire damage to the bite wound before the end of the target's next turn deals one fire damage to the target and kills the rot grubs. After this time, the rot grubs are too far under the skin to be burned off. If a target infested by a rot grubs ends its turn with zero hit points, it dies as the rot grubs burrow into its heart and kill it. Any effect that cures diseases kills all rot grubs infesting the target. So you can imagine that a, a low AC character like a bard that gets bitten a couple times could be in pretty serious condition after a few rounds of not knowing how to get rid of these things. But summoning little bugs is, uh, is not the scariest thing, so should also summon a swarm of dire plague rats. So you can boost the existing rat swarm stats as needed, and they can also drop the poison condition on any player character that takes damage from the plague rats. Uh, and additionally, you could, if you wanted to be really creative or just mean, impose a constitution saving throw, and on a failure, the PCs suffer a reduction to their hit point maximum. This is something that we borrowed from the death dog bite where the PC makes a con save every so often and the hit point maximum gets reduced even further on subsequent failures until they are cured or dead. Another option would be to, instead of the hit point reduction, say that anyone who's poisoned must make a constitution saving throw or is also subject to the effects of the spell Ray of Enfeeblement, that is, the damage done by an affected target's attacks that use strength would be reduced by half. Now there's a way to deal with that barbarian. And lastly, the wild shape. Now since the elemental druid had a greater focus on wild shape, even with the mixed results that I did have, I wanted to be less of a central feature here, uh, but still an option. The, the problem though, is that there are not many animals that are very closely associated with decay or disease other than rats. But one option I did think of would be for the druid to use wild shape to change into a swarm themselves and possibly to impose the effects of the in insect plague spell that way. Now this could also be a fun way for the druid to be able to escape, simply transform into a swarm of insects and fly away. So there we go, a couple of ideas to make some potential enemies, maybe some villains, maybe just plain old antagonists or regular old meanies for your campaign. I'd really love to hear your feedback. I know that I had some mixed results with the Elemental Druid's Wild Shape, so I'd really love to hear other people's thoughts on things that they would include or things that they would change. Um, let me know. And if you're enjoying this, and I do hope that you are, uh, you can follow us on Facebook. We are Knights and Nerds Podcast. We're on Instagram at Twitter, at Knights and Nerds. You can email us, knightsandnerdspodcast at gmail.com. And tell a friend about this show. It'd be a huge help. Anyways, that's it for me for now. Let's let the outro music take it away because it's so epic. Like, dun dun dun.